the backlog caused by a two-month delay in elective surgeries from the COVID-19 pandemic is expected to take up to two years to clear here in British Columbia. The province says between March 16th and May 18th, there have been about 30,000 lost cases with 14,000 elective surgeries delayed and another 16,000 surgeries staying on the wait list, which would have been scheduled had it not been for the pandemic. I'm joined on the phone now by Research Associate with the BC Office of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, Andrew Longhurst. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. Great to be with you, Jeff. So I want to just start by getting your initial thoughts here on, uh, you know, what was announced uh, yesterday here on Thursday, just talking about how it's going to take up to two years, really, to uh, make up for what we've seen lost here over the last two months. I mean, that's pretty substantial. Two months delay in surgeries is causing a, a two-year addition to to the scheduling process. I mean, were you surprised by that number, first and foremost? It is significant, and I think it really just underscores how uh, prepared uh, BC and, you know, kudos to the BC government and our provincial health officer for ensuring that we had uh, excess capacity in uh, our hospitals to be able to prepare for a COVID-19 surge. Um, thankfully, we didn't see that, but the, the knock-on effect was uh, elective or scheduled surgeries and procedures had to be postponed. And for a lot of people, that is obviously um, very difficult because a lot of people are, you know, they're waiting, they have pain, um, they have, uh, they, they're waiting for a surgery or diagnostic imaging, a whole variety of scheduled procedures that have been postponed. So it's a big number. I think it just speaks to the fact that um, there was really uh, thoughtful and, uh, and 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 smart planning initially, and now we're going to have to come out of that. Um, so I think moving forward, it's going to be really important that we um, are really thoughtful and we're transformative in terms of how we um, get back to uh, getting uh, patients back into the operating room, uh, getting them into their diagnostic imaging appointments, and working down the backlog, but also as we do it, making more efficient use of um, our surgical and diagnostic resources in the province. And I think there's some uh, lessons to be learned, certainly from BC and uh, across the country and internationally about how to do that. And as we hear more, I think, about the surgical plan, we've seen a, a bit of it. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that we see more fleshed out in terms of how uh, we're going to do that, because it could mean that we actually work down the backlog faster than two years. And uh, one of the things that, you know, that kind of ties back to is you, you helped author this paper, the, the problems with private for-profit delivery of surgical services. And, uh, you know, part of this paper talks about how BC can learn from other jurisdictions in Canada and abroad, like you had just mentioned, and that included uh, Scotland's ambitious work to significantly reduce wait times and improve health outcomes over the past 20 years. Uh, can you maybe just give me a, a quick rundown? I mean, that's probably a difficult thing to do when, when trying to, you know, summarize uh, talking about surgery here, but how can we learn from Scotland and other jurisdictions here? What is it about their process that seems to be working well that potentially BC could learn from? That's right. So uh, Scotland, much like BC, um, was facing many of the same wait time challenges as our province. And they started um, very ambitiously, but uh, knew that it would take time. But what they did is they set in place um, a lot of policy strategies that we haven't taken very seriously here in British Columbia. There's been um, efforts, and I would say uh, this is not just a BC problem, but it's often said that 
that uh, Canada is a country of, of many pilot projects. We often develop some evidence-based initiatives within our public system. Uh, so this might be making uh, ORs more efficient in terms of being able to have more surgeries done uh, within uh, a day. Uh, this might be, uh, for example, uh, what are called single entry models or first available surgeon models where we actually administratively streamline the process of waiting so that you're not waiting on an individual wait list. You're actually uh, going through a central referral system. And so what we know from the research evidence and again from what we've seen in Scotland um, and examples here in Canada in pockets is that this significantly reduces weight and, and the variation. So one of the issues that Minister Dix talked about is um, those that are waiting longest, we're going to prioritize them. One of the issues when, when, because we haven't reformed how we organize surgical services in this province across the board, the issue is that many patients wait on an individual surgeon's wait list. And yet there may be an opening that uh, an equally qualified surgeon uh, could perform that surgery much more quickly. And so the point here is that by taking a system approach to how we address wait times, rather than this very much a kind of localized or, or having people wait on individual surgeons lists, it's a very inefficient way to organize the system. And increasingly, we know that we need to be moving in that direction and make that those sorts of models standard practice. And that's much of what Scotland has done um, and, and done it in a very consistent way. So to the, to the government's credit in 2018 here in BC, they released a surgical uh, and diagnostic strategy um, that uh, announced five um, hip and knee uh, patient pathways. So you would have pre and post-op care provided by a team. So including physiotherapist and OT to do the assessments if you actually were a surgical candidate. And then you would be referred on if you were a surgical candidate onto a surgeon's, uh, onto a group of surgeons wait list. But it's been very limited. And so again, it's just an example of why we need to really take these models seriously and we need to scale them up province-wide. Yeah, I mean, given what you just said, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense to take a system-wide approach as opposed to having people on on those wait lists, like you had mentioned, for individual surgeons. That seems um, kind of silly, right, when we're trying to speed through this process. And when we're talking right now about a 17th to 20, 17 to 24-month timeline to make up the backlog of surgeries, I mean, do you think that if we started taking that systematic approach that it would uh, maybe reduce that timeline to, to make up what's been lost here over two months? I think it very possibly could, and I think that's what we need to be. This is the time now uh, to be implementing all of these proven solutions and really take them seriously. So while I'm really pleased to see that the government is talking about expanding um, operating room capacity to be able to do a higher volume, so this means extending hours into the evening, working on weekends, um, those are really important. Um, but I think the bottom line here is we haven't put the focus that we need to on transforming and reorganizing how these services are delivered. And so I do think we could see um, significant gains if we're, if we're seriously implementing a lot of these strategies. Um, and it, and it, the reality here is it's in the patient's best interest. So we hear coming out of a lot of these models that patients say, you know, I really like this one-stop shop, this pathway. I know the team of providers. I work through it. I see a physiotherapist. The reality is a lot of folks also don't need to be on a surgeon's wait list for a consultation. And that's one of the findings that we've seen from a, a good model here in British Columbia was that 
a lot of people could be better supported uh, through physio, occupational therapy, um, working to self-manage their condition. So if they have arthritis, they may actually not need a joint replacement. So a lot of these models are intended to be um, thinking about a more holistic approach that's team-based, but creates these efficiencies. And that's really what we need to be looking to um, as we go forward. And I think this is the time uh, to be bold and to really implement these solutions now. Well, and, and when you when you talk about how, you know, it's really a kind of a, 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 a showing its need right now, right, as we look at what's happened here over the past month and a half, two months with uh, with what's been delayed um, and, and how long it's going to take to make that up. And this is all just, uh, you know, when we're talking about this 17 to 24 month timeline, that's assuming that there really isn't a second wave of COVID-19. And I, uh, you know, I fully expect that there will be some kind of a second wave, whether it comes in the fall or, or when, I don't know. But I I'm anticipating that there will be, uh, and that's going to really cause even bigger problems, I would think, or at least bigger wait times when it comes to getting these uh, quote-unquote non-essential surgeries back up and being delivered in a timely manner. I mean, do you have a fear of that, and and, um, do you think that this, what we're talking about now, is going to be highlighted even further if we do see another spike in COVID cases? Well, I think it it speaks to the fact that it can't just be ramping up the volume of surgeries that we need to be implementing these other system efficiencies and improvements at the same time. Uh, Because what we've seen in BC effectively, and this extends much across the country, is there have been short-term initiatives to increase capacity and volume of surgeries. And, and often, you know, for, for good reasons. I'm not saying that's not important, but what has not followed is a lot of these system efficiencies and improvements that will actually help us reduce weights over the medium and long term. So, as you said, it's very likely that COVID-19 is going to be with us uh, for the foreseeable future until a vaccine is widely available. We need to be prepared to not only just reduce wait times over the short term, but to be able to sustain those um, uh, wait time reductions over Mm -hmm. the longer term. And that's the concern here is we need to be basically doing everything that we can and that we know works um, to make that a reality for British Columbians. And I think the other uh, concern that I'd raise too is, you know, it's, it's, unfortunate that we're seeing a movement towards um, contracting with private surgical clinics when we haven't done all of this system improvement in our public operating rooms and in our diagnostic imaging. And so there are a lot of efficiencies that we need to look at. And we also need to optimize the team of care providers who are par- who are part of providing um, pre-surgical and post-surgical care. So again, looking at these team-based approaches where people are supported and what we see when you're supported with a broader team is you're actually, your, your outcome in surgery is, is going to be better. So your recovery may be shorter and we need to make sure that, for example, we have the, the rehab professionals, therapists in our hospitals uh, to be able to help people so we can discharge them from beds in our hospitals. So I think, again, we need a broader focus on that full team of healthcare professionals. And we also need, if we want to see improvements over the medium and longer term with COVID being with us uh, and for the foreseeable future, it can't just be um, increasing volumes. And, and I think certainly there are some risks that we should be uh, thinking about when we're contracting out surgeries, uh, especially as we know that a lot of professionals, uh, healthcare staff are working at multiple sites. So again, we get into some of these issues around 
infection control and needing to be very careful. Um, and hospitals we know have the infection control practices um, that are strong, they are staffed for them. And so I think we just need to be very thoughtful about all of the pieces and ingredients um, of a comprehensive strategy uh, to get people into surgery as fast as we can and to support them with other um, supports if they're not uh, going into surgery. And we also, I'll just end on this, we can't forget the diagnostic imaging piece. We know that this is a significant part of um, being able to get into surgery quickly or determine if you're a surgical candidate. Um, And we've seen positive efforts in that regard, but we also need to think about uh, shortages of MRI technologists and others. It's Again, it's not just nurses and it's not just surgeons. There's a broader team that makes all of this care possible. Well, Andrew, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on and speak to this issue. I know it's one that's uh, getting a lot of attention right now, and I don't think that attention's going to uh, decrease anytime soon. So uh, we'll happy to do this with you today, and, and maybe we can uh, you know, talk about it more here in the not-too-distant future, because I think uh, this issue is going to be front and center for a while. But thanks so much for today. Great to connect with you. Thanks so much, Jeff. That was Andrew Longhurst, Research Associate with the BC Office of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. So yeah, there are now 93,000 people on the wait list in BC for elective surgeries. Uh, The province says to make up for that backlog, operating rooms will be performing surgeries in the evenings and on Saturdays and Sundays starting June 15th to October 15th. And it says that new OR rooms will be open wherever it is possible to do so. So clearly steps are being taken. weird to see stuff happening here on Saturdays and Sundays and evenings when talking about that operating room work that is going to be happening. The cost for this year alone to make up the backlog, just for this year uh, to make up that backlog of electric surgeries will be $250 million. Um, Nearly 75% of those costs are expected to be for staffing.